Mohammed as a champion of these values was not original to the president's questioner. The Muslim writer Farida Kanam portrays him as meek, mild, and full of love and compassion. His heart was filled with intense love for all humankind, irrespective of caste, creed, or color. Once he advised his companions to regard all people as their brothers and sisters, he added, You are all Adam's offspring, and Adam was born of clay. All this tells us what kind of awareness Muhammad wanted to instill in humans. His mission was to bring people abreast of the reality that all people, despite that they come from different countries and are seemingly different from one another in regards to their color, language, dress, and culture, are interconnected. Hence, a proper relationship can only be established between all humans if they were to regard one another as sisters and brothers. Only then will proper feelings of love and respect prevail throughout the world. Islamic apologists and contemporary academics have echoed the same ideas. Muhammad was, by all accounts, says Islamic scholar Karl Ernst, a charismatic person known for his integrity. Safi-ur-Rahman al-Mubarak Puri, whose biography of Muhammad, Ar-Rahik al-Maktoum, the sealed nectar, won first prize in an international Muhammad biography competition held in Mecca in 1979, wrote that the Prophet combined both perfection of creation and perfection of manners. The Prophet is the most just, the most decent, the most truthful at speech and the honestest, sick of all. In a similar vein, Ibrahim Hooper of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, an organization that says it wants to enhance understanding of Islam, encourage dialogue, protect civil liberties, and empower American Muslims, urged Muslims during the Muhammad cartoon riots, which erupted internationally in early 2006, to imitate the Prophet's example. You do not do evil to those who do evil to you, but you deal with them with forgiveness and kindness. Sahih al-Bukhari. That description of Islam's Prophet Muhammad is a summary of how he reacted to personal attacks and abuse. Islamic traditions include a number of instances of the Prophet having the opportunity to strike back at those who attacked him, but refraining from doing so. As Muslims, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, what would the Prophet Muhammad do? But the international riots and murders committed over these cartoons universally explained by the perpetrators as revenge for the alleged insult to Muhammad, suggested that Hooper's view was by no means universally accepted among Muslims. Some Muslims even invoked Muhammad's example in exactly the opposite direction of Hooper's plea for restraint. Sheikh Omar Bakri Muhammad, an open supporter of Osama bin Laden, who preached jihad in Britain for many years before finally leaving the country in the wake of the July 7, 2005 jihad bombings in London, declared that Muhammad himself would want the cartoonists dead. The insult has been established now by everybody, Muslim and non-Muslim, and everybody condemns the cartoonist and condemns the cartoon. However, in Islam, God said, and the messenger Muhammad said, Whoever insults a prophet, he must be punished and executed. This man should be put on trial, and if it is proven, to be executed. The English jihadist group Al-Guraba, the successor to Bakri's Al-Muhajirun organization, published a similar statement, referring to incidents in Muhammad's life to justify its position. 
At the time of the Messenger Muhammad, there were individuals like these who dishonored and insulted him upon whom the Islamic judgment was executed. Such people were not tolerated in the past and throughout the history of Islam were dealt with according to the Sharia, Islamic law. Shortly after these incidents, the people began to realize that insulting the Messenger of Allah was not something to be taken lightly, and doing so could get you killed, a concept that many seem to have forgotten today. In April 2006, the Mujahideen Council, led by Abu Musad al-Zakawi, then leader of al-Qaeda in Iraq, announced that it had murdered a Christian in Mosul because this impure crusader offended our noble prophet Muhammad. Muklas, a perpetrator of the 2002 Bali jihadist bombings, sounded a similar note. You who still have a shred of faith in your hearts, have you forgotten that to kill infidels and the enemies of Islam is a deed that has a reward above no other? Aren't you aware that the model for us all, the Prophet Muhammad and the four rightful caliphs, undertook to murder infidels as one of their primary activities, and that the Prophet waged jihad operations 77 times in the first 10 years as head of the Muslim community in Medina. Most Western scholars of Islam would assert that Muklas does not understand his religion and mischaracterizes its prophet. Karen Armstrong, in her hagiographical Muhammad, A Biography of the Prophet, notes that the September 11 hijackers had Muhammad in mind when they boarded the doomed aircraft. Be optimistic, they were told in the documents that were allegedly found in their luggage. The prophet was always optimistic. However, Armstrong continues, the very idea that Muhammad would have found anything to be optimistic about in the carnage committed in his name on September 11th is an obscenity, because, as I try to show in these pages, Muhammad spent most of his life trying to stop that kind of indiscriminate slaughter. Muhammad eventually abjured violence and pursued a daring, inspired policy of non-violence that was worthy of Gandhi. Why Muhammad Matters So, what was Muhammad really like? The question becomes more pressing every day, for if he was indeed a man of peace, one may reasonably hope that his example would become the linchpin of reform efforts in the Islamic world that would eventually roll back the influence of jihad terrorists. If he really championed democracy and equality of the sexes, one could profitably invoke his example among Muslims, who revere him as the highest example of human behavior, to work for these ideals in the Islamic world. But if the jihad terrorists are correct in invoking his example to justify their deeds, then Islamic reformers will need to initiate a respectful but searching re-evaluation of the place Muhammad occupies within Islam, a vastly more difficult undertaking. Western non-Muslims need to know the answer so that we can plan public policy accordingly. The common distinction drawn between Islam and Islamism, which is accepted without question by the vast majority of public policy analysts, opinion makers, lawmakers and diplomats, rests on the idea that there is a core, a kernel or perhaps an original form of Islam that did not teach warfare against non-Muslims. Islamism is widely reputed to be a Muslim imitation of fascism and communism that has little or nothing to do with the actual teachings of Islam. When 17 Muslims were arrested in Canada in June 2006 on suspicion of plotting jihad terror attacks against the Canadian Parliament building and other landmarks, the Ottawa citizen hastened to reassert liberal pieties. 
In 2001, they brought their war against the West to two great American cities. Next were Spain and England. In Holland, they butchered a filmmaker on the street. Australians got theirs in Bali. It's surprising it took them so long to turn to Canada. Let's be clear about who we mean by they. We mean Islamists. Not Muslims, but Islamists. A Muslim is one who practices Islam, a great religion. An Islamist is one for whom Islam is not just a religion, but a political ideology. Islamists seek to establish pure Islamic societies governed according to the harshest interpretation of Islam. Islamism has apocalyptic echoes of another millennial ideology, fascism. Think of the Thousand-Year Reich. Islamism is totalitarian, utopian, violent, and like fascism, it is expansionist. Likewise, after the 2005 jihadist bombings in London, British Prime Minister Tony Blair declared, We know that these people act in the name of Islam, but we also know that the vast and overwhelming majority of Muslims, both here and abroad, are decent and law-abiding people who abhor this kind of terrorism every bit as much as we do. Britain, like the states of continental Europe, has staked a great deal on this assumption, most notably its immigration policies. Of course, even if the jihadists are right about Mohammed, that does not mean that all or even most Muslims will be law-abiding and opposed to terrorism. In Islam, as in every religious tradition, there is a spectrum of belief, knowledge and fervor. One cannot be sure from anyone's self-identification as a Muslim how much he knows about the Quran and the life of Muhammad. This is true particularly because Islam is an essentially Arabic religion. Muslims must learn the daily prayers and the Quran in Arabic, which is the language of Allah. To pray to him in another tongue is unacceptable. Since most